Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to part two of the From the Finney podcast. We've got our predictions for you. We'll talk about North End's chances this season. And then there's a little chat between Jake and Tom Little. Well, I'm saying Jake. I am Jake. What a dick. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah, there's a little chat between me and Tom Little to finish off the episode as well. So enjoy. Brownie, who's your top two? Who's winning the league? Norwich. And then... How massively boring Watford second. Why Norwich? For reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Norwich start off with obviously Dean Smith's a good manager, um, and I think if you actually look at their squad on paper, um, you know they've got they've got quality all over the place, and Pookie obviously is a massive threat in the Championship, as proven before, which often is key. Um, so. Yeah, going for them top. And Watford second, I think. We touched on Rob Edwards before. Um, but again, I think a lot of the players they've lost, I don't think they'd be gutted about losing so far. You know, so they've lost Gray, Josh King, Sissoko, players like that. Um, and they've still got a lot of quality players like Saar. Um, so, yeah, I just think it'll be like it is been the last few seasons in the Championship, the top two. Just... That quality rises to the top in the end, and you know it's a forty-six game season. And if you've got the best players, nine times out of ten, you get you get up there. So, um, yeah, they're my top two. Ollie, Burnley first, Norwich second. Why Burnley top? Well, I uh, work in recruitment analysis, and I think Burnley's recruitment has been the best in the league this season. Um, Simon McNally, who I'm a massive fan of, signed Ian Matson, who I believe the best left slash left wing back in the league last season. Signed Cullen, Josh Cullen, who was outstanding for company at Anderlecht. Uh, signed Harwood Bellis, signed Scott Twine, who I'm not... I actually think Parrot's better than Twine, but obviously I think Twine has the potential to do quite well at the level. Um, I think company's massively switched on. I think he came fourth and third with Anderlecht, but they're under a massive transition, brought loads of young players through, slashed the budget, um, played good football, 4-4-2, interchanging quite narrow wingers, get the full-backs overlapping, uh, and now in a second striker. <clears throat> I just think he's really switched on. I uh, really like him as a coach. Obviously, working in Belgium, I've seen quite a lot of Anderlecht's. Um, and I think they've retained some good players. Obviously, they've sold Collins. 
Um, I think McNeil's on the verge of going to, to uh, Everton as we speak. But they've still got some very good players. Uh, Vidra's still there. Corne's still there at the minute. Whether he will still be, I'm not sure. But yeah, we've got not too much doubt about him. Obviously, he's untested, but I've seen him quite a lot up close. And I think they'll, they'll do very well. Norwich, same as what Brownie said. I think they've just got a really solid foundation. And they do shit every time they're in the Prem, but they've got outstanding championship players. Puky, McLean, Aaron's Krul. Um, Campwell's gone back there as well. I think Dean Smith's a really good coach as well. So, Big George get a chance this season. Yeah, I think he's played quite a bit in pre-season. He scored a few goals. Um, so, yeah, I think it's another good option. Um, so I'm quite strong on Norwich. They all, they're always going to be up there, aren't they, I think, at this level. Um, yeah. and they've not really lost anyone important, have they? So quite quite strong on Norwich, yeah. Yeah. Jimmy, I assume you're not too dissimilar, but... I'm exactly the same as Ollie. Um So, yeah, I'd be in the top, Norwich second. You know, Norwich has spent £9.5 million on a guy from Brazil, for goodness sake. It's the championship and the spaffing that sort of money. It's just ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I can't see past Burnley. I think the recruitment's been outstanding. Uh, just like all the vibes coming out of Burnley at this moment in time. You know, there was a lot of talk at the end of last season in terms of money issues and stuff, but they haven't come to fruition. And they're just spending good money on, on good players. Like, and ultimately when they get in, whatever they got for Pope, that was that was the big concern for me around the goalkeeper situation at Burnley. Right? And obviously when they brought in um, Murich, I sort of handed up to a degree. I know Murich didn't have a great start when he was with uh, Forrest and then they brought in uh, Bryce Amber. But he's done really well in Turkey apparently over the past 12 yeah. months. Ollie, you might have seen more of that than me, but yeah. I, I just read that he'd, he'd done really well out there and yeah, he's ready to hit the ground running again. But look, you know, they've lost what Pope, Collins, they're about to lose McNeil. Yes, they're going to lose talent because ultimately when you get relegated, that's what happens. You know, losing Tarkovsky and me, the two centre halves. So they're going into the season with a probably an untested centre half partnership. But the quality they've brought into the club, I just think it's good. And yeah, uh, sadly, uh, you know, from a rivalry's perspective, you know, because I'd, I'd really like to finish above them, really honest. But I can see him, Billy Norwich, absolutely romping it. Um, they're about to sign Vitinho as well from Circle of Bruges, who's an outstanding right back. So he's obviously, that's his third player, I think he signed from Belgium. Obviously, Howard Bellis was at. In Belgium for a, for a period of time as well. Was that last so, season? Yeah. Oh. When was it Rovers? Was that the season before last? Yeah, I think so. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, it was from it was the back end of the season one. It was. Yeah, went went to Stoke last season as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah, my I um Norwich to win. I think Burnley will just come up short. I think they'll struggle to begin with, but I think Company will find his groove and. They'll yeah, I think they'll finish second. Um and there's not really much different to say than what you boys have said about Norwich. Um yeah, they're just good at this level, aren't they? And you know, when you've got a goal scorer in Timu Puki, then you'll not go far wrong. In terms of the playoffs, Brownie, who who's your four to finish there? In any order, it doesn't really make a difference. I'll give you an order. We've got to do it in order, haven't we? Yeah. Burnley third. I think with Burnley, I think I think it's going to be it's a massive turnaround from from what has been previously. 
not only players, but style of play. I think initially that might be a bit of a problem for them. Um, so that's why I'm putting them at third, but I think they'll finish strongly. <clears throat> Borough, next. Um, I just think Wilder's a top manager, and I think if they get the, the forward line sorted, um, Stefan I'm not sure on, but Lumley was such a bad goalkeeper that that's an improvement on that. Um, so I think I think just the fact that I think a lot of the time in the Championship, managers are so important. And if you've got a really good manager, you're halfway there a lot of the time. So I just think Wilder's going to have them up there. Um, Luton in fifth. Wow. Um, oh, wait, yeah, no, never mind. Ignore me, carry on. Well, yeah, so I just think, I think the squad's improved after last season. Um, and, you know, they got in the playoffs last season. I think Kenilworth Road is a big thing for them um, with the way they play. And Nathan Jones is, you know, a really good manager. So I think, the thing is, I think they will be up there, but I just think they'll they'll get in. And then... Sixth, Ollie's not going to like this one. West Brom, I think, will finish in the playoffs. Just because if it doesn't work with Bruce, then they replace him. And I think they've got a good enough squad in order to get up there. And I think the signings that they've made this summer, you know, added to what they had. I just think, again, you know, once you've got a good squad, I just think that some of the players they've got now, you know, like um, like Wallace, um, Swift, you know, adding it to, um, you know, Grant and DK will get going as well this season. So I just think that they've got too much quality not to get in the playoffs, to be honest. Third, Luton Town. Outstanding coach. Improved the squad. We've got assets that are improving. Cornick, Adebayo, Campbell, Amari Bell. Ethan Horvath's an outstanding signing from Forest on loan. Very expensive. Morris, Woodrow, tactically flexible, pragmatic, only lost four games at home last season. They finished six last season, but they've added more quality. Best coach in the league. Fourth, Sheffield United. Uh, Illiman and Njai. The big breakthrough this summer, uh, this season. They've signed uh, Ahmed Hozik, centre-back from uh, Bordeaux last season. Really good in France, uh, Bosnian international. They signed Kieran Clark. They got a good core. You got Clark, Basham, O'Connell, Egan, Bogle, Bordock, Max Lowe, Sander Berg, John Fleck, Ollie Norwood, Rian Brewster, McBurney, Sharp. They brought in Tommy Doyle, Redick Edra, and Daniel Jebison's probably got to have a breakthrough season as well. Fifth, Borough. Not really too much to add. Sixth, my dark horse for the season, Coventry. They've kept Gokares. Kept Tamer, kept O'Hare. I love Panzo, who they've signed on loan from Forest, left-sided centre-back. Mobile, quick, good 1v1. Signed Adam Arola from Palace. Highly rated left wing-back. And they've got Callum Doyle from City on loan. He was outstanding at Sunderland last season. Um, so they're my massive dark horses for the season. I think they'll come top 10, but I think they'll come six. Jimmy? A bit of a boring four for me, to be honest. Watford third. Um, I, I just think the, I, I like their gaffer. I like what they're going to be doing this season. I just think they'll be there thereabouts and they'll be competing with the top two. Um, I've got West Brom in fourth. 
I think their recruitment's been very good uh, for this level. I think when you've got a front four that's going to be playing of Jed Wallace, John Swift, Grady Dean Garner, you know, Matt Phillips is still there, and then they've got Daryl DK or uh, Colin Hearn Grant. I think that's a ridiculous front four at this level. I do worry about them defensively, and I'm particularly in the goalkeeper situation with David Button, don't particularly rate him. But I think their, their front four is just frightening. Uh, Middlesbrough fifth. Obviously, they're about to sell James Tavernier. Um, James Tavernier, isn't it? It's Bournemouth. Um, Marcus. Marcus. Marcus, sorry, James' James's brother, isn't it? Um, £12 million. You know, they've already sold Jed Spence. They, they're going to have money to spend. You know, they're on about bringing Adam Armstrong in. They've just brought in Marcus Force. They've got Ryan Giles, who I think is an outstanding wing back at this level. I, I just see them being top six material this summer. And they've upgraded the goalkeeper, as Brownie said before. You know, Joe Lundley is an absolute dreadful keeper for them. You know, and to get Zach Stefan in, I think it's a really astute signing. So I'm quite hot on them. And then Sheffield United. I think Holly just rounded out really well in terms of what they've recruited in and, and the squad they've got. A bit unsure on the manager. I think he's a bit of a wild, wild cannon, like in terms of how he just completely goes off on one. Um, but if, if, if they get into a rut, they'll be, in, you know, they'll be nowhere near the top six. But if he keeps their momentum going forward, then They'll, they'll definitely be there in, in the top six. Yeah. But I think I think the top six this season, for, for me, I know the lads have said like Luton and Coventry, I think the top six is going to have a bit of a gap this year compared to previous years, personally. I find that about Heckenbottom quite quite mad. Um, when I went to London to record the podcast with Colin Murray, Heckenbottom was the guest in the studio and he was one of the most quiet people I've ever met. I uh, didn't didn't say a word to anyone really. Very sort of thoughtful in the way that he came across and the way that he spoke. But yeah, it didn't strike me as someone that would fly off the handle and go go a bit nuts. I was but quite well, hot on him at Barnsley a few years ago. Built built quite a good squad, but like I'm quite similar about Brownie and when uh, West Brom. I think if Chef you get in a bit of a rut and they sack him, they've got the squad there to recruit another coach like Alex Neal or someone like that and. Get an automatic uh, bounce. Yeah. yeah, my my four for the playoffs are Borough in third, I think Chef United fourth, um, Watford fifth, and uh, I'm I'm on the Luton train as well. I really like what they've done this window. Um, you can't argue with Nathan Jones, really, can you? Um, so I think they'll they'll finish sixth. Interesting. Um, Brownie, relegation fodder. Who, who, who have you got? Um, well, man, well, I'll uh, I'll start bottom. So bottom, Reading, um, absolute disaster. Um, I think if you actually look at the the signings in the summer, like if you just got so not only have they got Paul Lintz as manager, which is just <laughs> what are they doing, but then they've got they've signed Long Hutchinson, Hendrick. All plus 30, all like kind of short-term signings. They've had so many players in on trial, which is never a good sign. They've signed Joe Lumley, who we talked about before, who's, who's shocking. Um, and they've lost Swift, who was kind of like holding them up, wasn't he? Yep. So I just think, I just can't see anything other than Reading going down, if I'm perfectly honest. And the financial situation's still not really resolved either. So I think they're in a little bit of a pickle. 
Um, and then second spot, um, Birmingham. Um, if you look at their squad as well, George Friend, Harley Dean, Hogan, Deeney. It's very much 2015 at best. Oh, cloggers in there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, again, unless they do some real changes, I think the takeover is about to go through, already has gone through, but that disruption's obviously not helped either. Um, so, yeah, a few loan signings. John Ruddy, I mean, you know, it's hardly inspiring, is it? So, I just think, yeah, Birmingham next. And then... Safe to say that you don't share Lawrence Bassini's uh, optimism about Birmingham, then. Well, I don't think he's even going to buy him now, is he? I think no, he's I don't think he is, to be people, fair. Yeah. So, he's not got a pot to piss in, that's why. Yeah. Guy's an absolute chancer. Yeah, awful. I, I mean, you would have been in you would have been complete dismay if you're a Birmingham fan listening to some of his interviews, wouldn't you? We got it. Um, and I know this is a Preston North End podcast, and I'm not trying to do this to try and get some sort of bite but Blackpool is my last choice to go down um, I like Appleton um, and I know they have made a couple of signings in the last few days which has improved the position they were previously but I think if they lose Josh Bowler um, they lost out on Sims haven't they to Sunderland um, and it's a, again another club in a little bit of a weird situation aren't they and I think and also, I think it takes a couple of games, the whole situation with Appleton and Preston. Does that play its part again? I don't know. I just think they'll be, they'll definitely be down there and with a number of clubs who I'm sure Ollie and Jimmy will say different ones, but it all depends on how the run goes. But yeah, I'm honestly not doing it for a bite. It's just, you know, Blackpool. I'll jump in now and say that I've got exactly the same bottom three in the same order as you. So, Ollie? Um, 24th, Birmingham. Same as what Brownie said. The very 2015. I don't think they finished above like the bottom six in about six years. They've always just survived. I think last season they might have gone if there weren't other points deductions. I think they got John Eustace, who's completely unproven as a coach at a level. Uh, 23rd, Reading. Exactly the same as what Brownie said. I've gone Rotherham, 22nd. Um, I know we've got a couple of fanboys in in the uh, in the podcast of Warren. I quite like him as well, and I like what he said about corners. But they've lost Michael Smith, who was the main source of goals in League One, and they've lost Michael Ehequi, who's gone to Sheffield Wednesday, the centre back. Um, and if you go through the squad, there's just very little quality. I know they always give a good fight, and you always think they could have stayed up. Um, they probably should have stayed up last time. And North End always tend to struggle there, don't they? But, um, yeah, I think they'll just probably just not have enough. Blackpool, I was toying between Blackpool and Rotherham. And Wigan as well. I think we're going to be quite poor, but I think Rotherham might just finish in the bottom three just about. I think it'll be tight down there. I think there's like seven, eight teams who could go. Yeah, yeah. I've got se- I've got seven teams mentioned in the- for the bottom three, I-, I think. And it could be any three out of them to be honest it, you know in terms of the the old relegation roulette I've got Reading Birmingham and Wigan currently in any order but I, I think Blackpool Rotherham Huddersfield and Cardiff Cardiff's recruitment is just absolute scattergun like in terms of what they've brought in Huddersfield I, I think um, Corbrand saw what was coming 
and got out while he could so he doesn't damage his reputation bit of a shithouse move but yeah don't blame him football's a ruthless industry I think Huddersfield and Blackpool are quite similar in that their coaches were their best asset I think well, yeah, that's it, that. yeah. yeah. I mean, I know well, obviously Blackpool. I'm not comparing them to what Huddersfield did last season, but I think it's fair to say they punched above the weight last season. Yeah. I think you. I think that's a bit harsh on Huddersfield, like because you've got some good talent. You have got some talent there. Sober Thomas, the keeper that looks all right, nearly Lee Nichols. But did he just have the season of his life? You know, did, did he just get just hit the ground running from the minute one? Made what 22 clean sheets, something daft last season. Did he just have an unbelievable season? And then this season will go back to being, you know, a second choice league one goalkeeper like he was at MK Dons. I, I don't know, like, but I, I just look at the them sides that I think could be in the bottom seven. Wigan, I, I think will go. I just think our recruitment's been absolutely non-existent. I think they brought in Ryan Nyambi, and that's it. I was going to say and one th- player on it. Yeah, and I think when you've got a side, you, when you're getting promoted out of League One, and in, you know you've won the league, you've done well, like, but. You need to improve on it because the championship, the, the step up from League One to the championship, I do think is a big step now. You know, we, we've seen that last season with likes of Peterborough. You know, they just look like an absolute sitting duck for half the year. Like, and they, they did well in terms of League One, but because they hadn't recruited astute players for championship level, ultimately you'll fall, you can fall down. Um, so, yeah, that's my bottom three. But I think there's just a big mash of teams that could finish between 7th and 17th and, and we're one of them. You know, I've got Stoke in there. I think Stoke's recruitment's been decent. I think Millwall's recruitment's been really good as well under the radar. They're my dark horse to finish 7th. Like, I just, I've got Luton in there, commentary, Hull. We don't know what's going to happen with Hull. There's brought in a lot of Turkish lads and think, you know, we'll just chuck them together with a Turkish manager and think, yeah, it might happen, it might not. They they literally could finish top or bottom, Hull. They, they could mismatch. be the entertainment story of the season, couldn't they? Oh, they could be getting beat 6-0 one week and win 6-0 the next. They, I just have no idea what's going to happen with Hull. Can't put like a Wolves situation where they started bringing in a lot of Portuguese players. Yeah, it's just random, isn't it? Like, in terms of some of the players they brought in. Sunderland, no idea. Could be great, could be shit. Don't think it'll be shit under the manager, but we won't go on to that. Rovers, same same prospect. Like, they've brought in the lad from Barnsley, was it Callum Britton? Yeah. And Ethan Walker. Like that's it. Am I, I think they. Uh, I think they could. They've lost a lot of good players when you look at it, and they could yeah. still lose. They could still lose Brereton, and the uh, the manager apparently is a massive possession based coach. That could easily go downhill. That. But you look at crossed. look at who they've lost. Do you think the they've locals would sell for that that style of football? It just doesn't. Strike, and I know this isn't very footbally, but it doesn't strike me as the kind of thing that would go down well in Blackburn. Oh, they'd be shouting forward like I, I kept saying the other night. Forward, forward. I was keeping it like when we're keeping the ball. It's like they won't settle for that because ultimately they still think they're Premier League winners from 1995 because they're 25 years behind the rest of the country. But yeah, we won't go there. But yeah, you look at who they've lost. They've lost Joe Rockwell. They've lost, um, who else have lost? Leonard in the centre half. Kadra. Naya. Kedra. The centre, Van who's Heck, to the centre Van Heck, Heck. Went, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Nyambi. I know Nyambi was a bit part, but I mean, losing play. Yeah, Rothwell's gone. He, he he left on a free. Bradley Johnson played at Ips and Butts. Then he left. He went to MK Dons. So I'm like, mm. Brereton goes free. as well on top of that. Yeah. Oh, at that point you're thinking, yeah. yeah. But this is what I mean. Like the league, Bristol City. Like 
they've brought in some really good players, but then they've got an absolute head case as manager. I'm like, hmm, don't know what to do about that one. Yeah. Like, it's just, this is what I mean. Like, I, you can even look at it like as it being stronger than ever the championship because you don't know what's going to happen from probably 18th upwards. Well, I just look at that, that top six are, are well above, in my, in my eyes, the rest of the league. And yeah, Luton might knock on the door. I think Stoke will probably knock on the door. But the bottom seven are probably adrift. We're in this middle batch of teams that could finish seventh, we could finish 17th. And the top six of us away with the fairies. Yeah, for me, I think there's just, there's a lot of caveats all over the league, isn't there? So, like, Burnley, Burnley's completely unknown. Stuff like that. Watford's similar. It's going to be interesting. Which is what I think makes this next call a bit of a tough one, but who's your dark horse for the season? Um, Sunderland. Um, and I know people hate that. Um but I just think, you know, for Solly, I think the momentum at the end of last season, um, you know, so the again. end of the season really well. The momentum at the end of the season, I think the, was it 12, 13 games or whatever they went unbeaten at the end of the season? Um, and they're a massive club, aren't they? You can't, I know it like they've gone up and people look at teams that have gone up and don't think they're going to do that well, but they're a massive football club for this size. You've got a manager who knows the league and especially early on in his reigns, has got quite immediate success. Um, and they've got some quality players, haven't they? You know, they've got Ballard in, um, Jack Clark, they've got Permanent, you know, Roberts, Pritchard. Um, and it'd be interesting to see um, how uh, Ross Stewart does. Because he is kind of a, a Neil-type striker in terms of, you know, how mobile he is, strong, um, puts himself about, um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does at a higher level. But we've spoke already, they've signed Sims. Um, they're after Parrot. So I think he wants to strengthen up there. And I think, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they'll cause a lot of upsets throughout the season. And I think they'll comfortably finish top half, which for a, a team that's just got promoted is not normal. So yeah, that's why they're my dark horse. I think as well, I saw a stat the other day. I think in the last four or five years, promoted teams haven't finished above 15th or something. Um, mainly because you got Wigan and Rotherham who are shy every year. Um, yeah. But all I'd say as well, Ellis Sims is absolutely perfect for Alex Neil. Um, dark horse for me is QPR. Um, I think Michael Beale, from what I've heard from a few people, is just an outstanding coach. Is it not, not Mick Beale? Uh, I think he yeah. actually does like to go by Mick Dunny. Um, someone saying that. I think was it that no, was the, the NTT twenty boys, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, outstanding tactician apparently. But he also develops players. I think Loftus Road is always quite a tough place to go. But I think now they've got that extra bit of tactical now. So I weren't a massive fan of Mark Warburton. Um, I think he left his teams very vulnerable. Um, they've signed Clark Salt as a really good player. I think Taylor Richards is really good. I think Tyler Roberts is pretty good. All potentially really good for level, shrewd signings. Um, I think Senna Dieng is one of the best keepers in the league, pretty underrated. And I think if you look at the back three, uh, Rob Dickey, Jimmy Dunn and Jake Clark-Salter, I think that's a really good back three. And then you've got a bit of quality, you got Elias Chair, really like, and Andre Dozzle. Um, so I think they could, I'm not sure they got enough for the playoffs, but 
they make a couple more signings, I think they could push for top 10. Might have a little 10-game unbeaten stretch throughout the season. Pretty hot on seeing how they'll do. Because I think in recent seasons, we've seen a lot, like Brownie said before, the, the managers and coaches can make a massive difference. And I think if you've got really shrewd coaches, um, they can be massive parts of a club season. So I think the recruitment's been good and the coach is really good. So... QPR, dark course. Jimmy? Um, Stoke. Um, quite like Michael O'Neill's manager. I think the recruitment's been pretty decent. They've not really lost anybody. Um, of, of no, they've probably actually cleared the duck, ducks quite well, actually. You know, they've got really likes of James Chester, who was aging, Stephen Fletcher, Tom Ince, Alfie Doherty that, that's gone to Luton. He's, he's all right, but. Is he a first-choice player when you want to be a top-six side? We'll probably see with Luton this year, won't we? Got rid of Joe Allen, got rid of Benekafobi. So they freed up wages-wise, and I think they've brought in some decent players. Um, Dwight Gale at this level, if he hits, if he hits the ground running like he has done in previous seasons, he's going to be an absolute menace. Um, Gavin Kilkenny, who kept piercing out the team at times last season for Bournemouth. So you put them two together in the middle of the park with uh, Will Smallbone. I'd like to just brought in from Southampton today. I think that's a decent midfield. It's probably, a, it could be anything, you know, in terms of a midfield partnership. That um, Aidan Flint is just an absolute horror of the centre half. He's probably an upgrade on, upgrade on uh, Jason Chester, though. So let's look at the recruitment. I think it's been James all right. Chester. Who did I say? Jason. I don't have a clue who that is, but yeah, James Chester. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just think the recruitment's been pretty decent. Michael O'Neill's a decent manager. Did all right last season. Just think that they'll they'll go again if that makes sense. And it's probably not finished with the champ- with the transfer window either. So yeah, they finished what place below us last season. Sixty-two points. Get another ten points on top of that. You you're pretty much in the playoffs, aren't you? So yeah, I think Stoke will get back up there this year. Yeah, I think they struggled with consistency, didn't they, last season? They fell off and. Um, just yeah, fell away toward the end of the season. So it's not a bad shout, to be fair. I can't. I'm not. I'm not convinced on Michael O'Neill, but yeah. Um, for me, I'm again same as Brownie. I've gone Sunderland. I just can't look past Alex Neil. Him in this league are just they're they're a match, aren't they? I think they'll they'll have a push toward the playoffs. Um, but probably a similar story for North End fans. One that we're used to fall away. Uh, but I think they'll comfortably be top half. I don't think they've finished in the window yet. And, you know, like they brought, like Brownie said, Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts both signed them. Signed both of them, sorry, permanently uh, from the loans. Uh, brought Ellis Sims in. And I think Ross Ross Stewart's very Jordan Hugo-esque, isn't he? He sort of reminds me a lot of how Jordan was under Alex. And, and that, uh, what, how did he describe him? A beast, was it? An animal. An animal, that was it. Um, so, yeah, I think Sunderland for me. And also, I think Millwall will do will do all right. I quite like their recruitment. Um, they've signed that, is it Zion Fleming? Um, who He could be an absolute world beater or he could be absolute dross. But, um, yeah, I just like what they've done in the window. I think George Honeyman's all right for this level. I quite like. What I've heard about Charlie Creswell, um, centre back, I think someone that maybe we should have been looking at as well. So, yeah, I think 
Millwall and Sunderland number two to do all right, top half, maybe top ten, have a push at the playoffs, and yeah. Um, bold prediction, Brownie. What have you got? Um, as this is virtually impossible. You don't want to say something too stupid where it's just ridiculous, but um, bold prediction. I don't think I think Lowe will leave one way or the other at the end of the season. Short termism. I think I, I I could I could see him getting getting sacked if it doesn't work out. Nah. Not a chance. Think, no. No. No, I don't think he gets sacked, but well it depends how bad he does, obviously. But um I just think if if we do well and an opportunity arises I think he'd be, I think he'd be, be out there. Um, I just think you know, like the signings we're making and um, what type of personality he is. He's quite driven, and um, I think he's, yeah. I don't know what to say. What to say? Loyalty? It's not really a thing. I don't know, but yeah, I just don't think. I think if we do well, I think he'd be gone. Oh, did this have to be P and E related? This part. This bold prediction, not necessarily. No. no, I've got Illiman NGI to get a massive Premier League move. I thought it was P and E related. No, it didn't have to be. All oh, right. Oh well, leave it in. Doesn't matter. <laughs> if oh, it's, yeah, uh, I'm leaving it in. If we're doing a P and E, a P and E one, it'll be Patrick Bauer to be frozen out of the eleven before Christmas. Paul Huntington-esque. <laughs> Jim? Mine's not Northern related. Um, and I've got two, um, which will be of no surprise. I've got Michael Opperton to be sat by Christmas. <laughs> Is that bold? I don't know, but then the muckers <laughs> to organise another boycott. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so I'm gonna record that bit. Oh, I just can't <laughs> laugh it. I've, I've been I've been looking at it and I just keep laughing. But then, um, so uh, so oh, I've got no, two. Leaving that in. No, I can't. I'm, I start laughing. <laughs> can't help it. So I've got two. Um, so the first one is Michael Appleton will get sat by Christmas, and the second is the Muckers will organise yet another boycott. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute muckets. <laughs> They're not far off at the minute, are they? <laughs> oh, they just keep calling people out. I'm like, <coughs> not why I'd I think. Write. I think uh, Reese Williams deserves an apology. Oh, they tickle me, honestly. It's uh, just comedy, isn't it? It's just good to watch. Stand back and watch. The tennis balls will be back soon. Yeah. The old boy in the wheelchair, <laughs> Brian Potter. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, dearie me. Um, I think yeah, they'll be right down there either way, I think. I couldn't come up with one. Shit house, I know. Your question. I know. <laughs> you can't not, you can't cop out like that. You've had two weeks to prepare for this, right? Even I forgot the questions to about four o'clock today, and you still haven't got a bold prediction. Yeah. Um North End then boys, where where do you think we'll finish, Brownie? I've gone eighth. Um, I think I think we'll start well, um, and I do. I quite, I quite like what we're doing. 
for this season alone. Um, and if we get the other two through the door, and you know, if we get a centre back in as well, it'll help. But I think ultimately what will help hold us back is the defence. Um, and that's probably why we won't get in that top six. But I think we'll do similar to what we did at the end of last season, where we did finish well under low. Probably um, we're weaker at the back, but we're quite strong in other areas, especially if we get another wing back in, which is what is key to the way he plays. So, yeah, a lot of good feeling. Season tickets, 12,000, plenty in there. Hopefully we get Deepdale rocking. And, yeah, we'll, we'll be up there towards the playoffs, but we won't get there. Oh, 10th. I think there's two major things which will define the season. Well, there's obviously 46, but... Um, <laughs> I think the first one is how we start the season. Obviously, with a new pre-season, new fitness coach, new head of performance, whatever he's called. We've generally been playing catch-up in the last four, five, six years. We've been playing catch-up and we've not quite had enough. The second one is the January transfer window. We've been in good positions before around January and we've not really pushed when we've needed to. I've got a feeling if we are around the top six, we could push this January because I think Ryan Lowe could talk Peter in signing anyone, um, to be honest. I know that that's not a bad thing either. I think ultimately the back three, if it, as, as it stands, I think that's probably going to be what lets us down. Um, but 10th, but I'm not ruling out a push at all. Like I say, how we start the season, it's an incredibly generous fixture fixture list, the first six, seven games. And then if we are around the top six come January, if we have a, a right go and get a couple of quality players in, who knows, but I've gone 10th. Jim? I've gone for our spiritual home. Back to 11th place. Um, I, I just think between, we could finish 7th we could finish 17th we could finish in the playoffs don't think we'll be anywhere near the drop zone um, I just think it's very a very competitive middle bunch in the championship this season and I just see us returning back to our spiritual home in 11th place yeah I had the same um, I agree with Ollie I think uh, what what do you want me to do we can't I, agree with Ollie we can't agree with Ollie and then say 11th place no, if you let me finish, I agree with Ollie in that I think the start will be defining to the season. Um, it's on paper, it's generous, um, but yeah, I think I think we'll just end up end up back where we belong in this league, which is eleventh, unfortunately, because it doesn't mean that you're in the playoffs or in the Premier League. Short and sweet that from you, Jake. Yeah. Well, what else is there to say? We've had we've had the voice note predictions from the lads. We've had you three with yours. Not really much else to add. Um, but yeah, the final part of the pod is me having a little chat with Tom Little. A little chat with Tom Little. Me having a chat with Tom Little um, just about pre-season, the importance of it. Uh, spoke a little bit about his time working with Simon Grayson, with Alex Neal. Um, and obviously a few, a few little snippets about his brief time with Ryan Lowe before he left to go and join Sheffield United. So yeah, I'll hand over to Tom. Hi there, my name's Dr. Tom Little. I was fortunate enough to be Head of Performance at Preston North End for 
eight glorious seasons from 2012 to the season that we got promoted uh, just up until the end of last season. I've now switched over to the Blades. Uh, I'm also the director of a company called Hero Pro and recently released uh, a nutrition and fitness book called The Colour Fit Method. Cool. Tom, thanks for joining me. Much appreciated. Um, I know it's a little bit last minute, but yeah, we're here. Um, just talk a little bit about your book to begin with. I know you just mentioned it then, but I've seen a lot on social media. Um, what is the Colour Fit Method? Um, it's just something that organically came up through my work, mainly with Preston North End. I've had like 20 years in football where part of nutrition was part of my reef. And I always found it incredibly hard to change the players' habits. So it was really just a problem-solving uh, thing. And I certainly had a few challenges at Preston North End. North End. So it's like, come up with a solution or like murder a few of the players. Because like quite literally, I was chasing them, some of them around me uh, desk. So uh, yeah, it was just this process of really trying to simplify choosing the right type of meal for what your goal is for footballers and things that may be a bit more performance-based, but it also includes about your body shape and also your health, uh, just making that really easy to select the right meals. And that was the concept called this Colour Fit Method. It's quite visual, so I, I won't take up much time going into that. But the other thing was making it super practical as well. So easy to choose, easy to carry out. And we made these short little uh, meal videos for every one of our meals that we made. And we ended up for the with what we developed for Preston, having over 400 meals, it was super simple to make, uh, had to have a health or performance angle to them. And then we added this practical side by making these short little meal videos for them. So the book has, every meal has a QR link that links to the a little video demonstration. And that was the big changing point where lads were like, quite standoffish about making their own nutrition. The young men are affluent, they can eat out all the time, they're almost bulletproof and can get away with a bad diet because they're so active, but eventually that catches up with them. Uh, but they really bought into the system. And from there, I just thought, I might have something here. So I, I kind of networked it out to a few people in football. They really liked it. And then eventually it became a bespoke app and that's done really well in pro sport. But I always knew it was something that could work for the general public because they have exactly the same problems about choosing the right meal and having the confidence to make it. So easiest way to do that without spending fortunes is to write a book. So that's where I am and it's just been released. And yeah, the people from Preston have been really kind to me, like Alan Kelly and people like that have been giving me a bit of a shout out. He was there actually on the coach when I was like really starting to come up with the uh, origins of the idea. So it was nice to hear from him too on that. Wicked, yeah. I've, I've seen, like I said, I've seen a few of the players sharing it, um, but always intrigued me. Uh, just coming back to your start at the time at the club, how did how did the move come around? I know we mentioned just before off air that you you joined under Simon. Um, how did that come about? I was always already the fitness coach when he came in at Huddersfield. So again, super fortunate. Simon just used to see land and get somewhere promoted. He'd just done it at Blackpool. So he came over to Huddersfield. Uh, we got promoted by the playoffs that season. Um, he then moved on, obviously went to Preston. I'd moved on myself, but was quite unhappy. It was uh, far away from the family. Um, and it's just a bit too much for me. I've always, I've never really moved. I haven't moved in my 20 odd years in football. So very lucky to say I've done that. Always prioritise my family and friends above 
perhaps, perhaps success at the highest level, but I stand by that. I've had a really happy life. There's lots more beyond work to life than beyond work. But yeah, he was um, the fitness coach he had went over to Canada and he just shouted out to me, do I fancy coming in? And I snapped his arm off. Happy days. How how was it working with Simon? Um, I know, obviously, we'll come on to you. you worked under Alex, you worked under Frankie, and a little bit under Ryan. But how how was Simon to begin with? Was it sort of an easy transition going from yeah, Simon's just class. He's famed for being so laid back. So and uh, people like Glenn Snodden are in there. Just absolutely lovely people, salt of the earth, absolutely top. And it was just he really. Um, promoted having an atmosphere that was enjoyable, hard-working, aesthetic, but we're there to have a good time, be hard-working, organised, but he enjoyed it, and his man management with the elite players that we had for that level was his key asset, the likes of Beckford and people like that, that are high-profile people, not necessarily done well everywhere, but he knew how to manage them. And it was just a great place to work, really enjoyable. And it always is when you have success. Football's absolutely brilliant environment to work in. If you take away the antisocial side, being away from the family at weekends and things like that, day-to-day, it's absolutely amazing when you're winning when you're not winning obviously it's ultra stressful and everything wrong and pointing fingers from all levels because everybody's into the football but we did really well under Simon and uh, there wasn't really much of a cloud under his reign it was just something happened and then Sunderland come in and he decided to move on from there yeah I know um, people have said in the past that I've spoken to about obviously we'll come on to Alex coming in um, they've said about him that he was very, um, very driven, very determined, uh, real intense work ethic. Was that something you found with Alex coming in compared to how? Not that Simon didn't have any of that, but was, was there a, was there a change that you felt with between the two managers? All managers are different, so it wouldn't matter who it was. Um, there, there would have been differences in there and you've got to be true to your beliefs. If you just try and copy someone, you, you're not really going to have the effect that you should have because you're not playing to your natural assets. But Alex, yeah, very, you call him a serious guy. I, enjoy, I really enjoyed working with him and we had loads of fun times around there. Some of it, the fun times was a bit competitive. I remember head tennis was kind of absolute warfare with Alex, but uh, he's the greatest head tennis player as well I've ever come across in my life. I don't think I got anywhere near winning a single game against him. So yeah, there were fun and ferocious times mixed in there, but just like, so thorough and clever what he did on the analysis side. Very good at stopping team, but also creating his team. And it's really unfortunate the year where, that I thought we had a good chance of chasing promotion. We were a bit unfortunate with a few key injuries to Hugill, to Robinson, uh, that were our key guys at the time to scoring. So, um, unfortunately, that, that fell away. But you just came out of Alex's team talks just feeling like you were going to win. You ju- he just figured out the opposition for you and put everything on an action play, how to do it, how to go about your business. And you saw with results um, that he's an unbelievably good manager. I think with a little bit more backing on resources and players, players that he certainly felt he wanted, um, I think he would have got a 
gone perhaps took us to the Premiership, but what will be will be. But he's gone on to Sunderland and started off brilliant there. And you hear the same messages from the players: his work ethic, his determination, his intelligence. All these things are shining through at Sunderland again. Yeah, obviously pre-seasons come to an end uh, this time around. Seasons around the corner. How the the different managers you've worked under. Uh, obviously, we touched on Simon, touched on Alex. How different were the pre-seasons under those two guys? Um, or were they not at all? Was there a lot of similarities? In- there were definitely differences. But it's a time where my, my job comes to the forefront a little bit. So we'll dictate kind of what the schedule is a tiny bit more in terms of the actual content. We'll always have a little bit of an underlying influence on the overall schedule. Um, but the content it tended to come more for what Alex wanted, what what Simon wanted in there. In there, the content had come a little bit more from the performance or fitness team as pre-season started, and that that will gradually fade out as you go into a more specific model from general fitness building into kind of match fitness and very tactical uh, and football specific fitness uh, as you're going through the pre-season. So there's definitely similarities in each one. But like I said, as you transgress towards even really early on, actually, we get the balls out super early and a big part of my kind of um ethos and all my uh, specialism through my education has been to try and get your fitness while you're doing your football technical and tactical work so even really early doors we were trying to kill two birds with one stone so not massive difference to them but then just as you get more and more into the football work it becomes about their tactical ethos their technical ethos um which were different as they played uh, Simon was more four four two. Uh, Alex was more about a four four three three uh, generally, but he mixed it up a, a little bit more as well as we went on. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it's different just based on their different f- football philosophies. And how how were they compared to Frankie? And then obviously Ryan coming in after that because um, I know Frankie changed a lot compared to Alex. He went to playing with a back three, back five, probably a back five if you look at it that way. And then obviously well in fact you've not you you've left, didn't you? You didn't do this preseason with Ryan. No I didn't. So I can't yeah. comment on that. Obviously um worked a little bit with Ryan so I can reflect on his certain practices. Loads of uh, loads and loads of positives about Ryan and Mike Marsh and I think they're gonna do really well for the club. As well, I thought Frankie did unbelievably well, uh, given the remit and the backing that he had at the club. Um, we were just going through a bit of a sticky transition period there. Um, changed the system slightly, but a lot of his ethos around training, he was always head coach, so he, he, he took a lot of the training beforehand. So there wasn't a massive shift. In the training, there was a, just more of a shift around the man management side of things. How, um, might sound like a bit of a silly question, but how important is pre-season? I know some people might look at it as, uh, it's just a, like, you're just playing games, you're just getting fitness, but is there more to it than just getting fitness? Yeah, there's a lot more. If you look at kind of a robustness of someone over a season, there's a high, high correlation to what did they do pre-season. 
somebody who misses quite a bit of pre-season due to whatever it may be and what you see a lot of time in modern football, you see it with Preston's recent signings, is you do all the work with your players and then last week your team completely changes because you're getting the signings, you've been desperately chasing and you end up with these low, low knees and your squad seems to take more shape. So they, they will have done work, but it won't have been formatted to what you want. So... Yeah, there's a real, I think, in, in terms of success and uh, definitely availability throughout the season. Um, it's really important because you're just playing catch-up otherwise and it just becomes this vicious spiral of you're a little bit behind, so you can't get as much match time, you're more likely to get injured. And then that spiral of the lads being further away just gets bigger and bigger as the season goes on. So, yeah, it can be really uh, important time. But on the other flip side of it, I've had like seasons at Man City when I was there. We didn't win a single pre-season game and I'm on full panic stations. And then we got promoted with Preston. Our pre-season results were always pretty good but never really started the season absolutely on fire. So I'd never read too much into the results side of it because there's loads going on. You might be going into games deliberately having the players super tired because you're just prioritizing fitness at that time and you're going into training games, just approaching that as just a, a, another analogue of training rather than the match performance. So there's so many variables that could go into a pre-season of performance. And from what I hear, the guys have been working extremely hard at Preston. So there have been topsy-turvy bits in performance, but I know Ryan, John that's come over to take over me, Luke Hemmings at works, uh, Jacko, all these uh, wonderful people that will have that team as primed as it can be, ready to go. So, I know you mentioned there that you might go into a game having focused on fitness and the lads will be knackered. Is it something that, because obviously you have them periods, don't you, in a season where it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, you're rotating your squad, there's going to be a lot of tired bodies. Is that something that, to an extent, clubs and, and managers might try and replicate in pre-season, maybe earlier on, where the they go into games where the lads are a little bit more tired so they get used to, not used to it, but it's not as alien to them when they come to that point in the season or is the whole point of pre-season to... to no, match out? minutes. Match minutes is high, high on your priority of getting in and ideally you want to give every player in your squad exposure to two 90 minutes. That can be hard to do because the, the off-season's been shortened this season. The uh, season's starting early because of the Winter World Cup and you, these players need some rest time as well. So... It became difficult just getting all the things that you want in there, but having everybody at least one ninety minutes is super important in there. And because this season is literally in the champion, if you're in the championship every single week, you are playing three times a week unless it's an international break. Um, so it's a horrific scheduling and lots on. So the. Um, managers, fitness coaches, whatever, will want that exposure to two games a week at some stage. There's also commercial kind of pressures and opportunities to partake. So Preston have had some good premiership games as well and um, teams from abroad, teams from Scotland, whatever it may be. There's, there's commercial kind of 
uh, pressures, as I said, that can come into playing twice a week. But I think early on, you want to focus on training and you're rotating your squad. So one will play on the Tuesday, one will play on the Saturday. As you're getting near to the meat of things, you might see the same squad playing higher minutes twice within the week. For example, you see a lot of squads now, the, the final week, they'll have a team play on the Friday and also a team play on the Saturday on back-to-back days. But that's just to fulfil their exposure to everybody to 90 minutes. It's not, that isn't commercial or anything like that. It's just more, right, let's try and get everyone that exposure. Yeah. And in in terms of in the build-up to the season, is there anything, I know and it might be completely different, probably is, when you're training for an event or a race, you, you look at like tapering off a little bit so you're not overloading. Is that important in that final week after you've played your, uh, your pre-season games and you, you're building up to that start of the week? Is training a little less intense? And Yeah, you summed it up perfectly there. Typically, you will see that. You'll see the final bit. You'll, you'll come off the lads a little bit. You'll train... Definitely less volume, so the amount of training that you're doing, the intensity will probably stay just as high because you want to keep all that that sharpness with your players and that is a, the most potent fitness stimulus, the intensity of your training. But by taking that volume away, you're freshening up the players' legs, you're reducing the risk of injury and hopefully you're going to hit the ground running. Um um, when you start the season because it's all the first couple of weeks even discounting this year that is just ridiculous you'll always start the season Saturday, Tuesday Saturday, Tuesday uh, Saturday is the most typical start to a week so that'll come in having said that though the real reality is that in the last week you might get to it and the manager's like no I'm nowhere near feel prepared done all my tactical preparation and things like that and often you'll see a little game come on in on that Tuesday where they just want to do it but if everything's gone well they tend to be in-house games where you can reduce the minutes and stop the play and, and work on the actual tactical and technical things that you you really want to work on or for example at the Blades we just had one and we uh yesterday but we changed the teams at half time yeah I know um, there's been a lot said hasn't there about the scheduling do you think something's got to give eventually because these athletes you know not just at championship level but at premiership level where you've got you know England's a good example with I think Harry Kane's come out and said something recently Um, you know they're going away after the season's finished they're playing international games and they're having extended breaks from the club pre-season because they've had the season extended because of these international tournaments. Do you think it's going to get to a point where something's got to give? Well, it's commercial pressures all the time and they seem seem to win out, unfortunately, all the time. But we will see massive problems with our elite, most elite players, the ones that are representing us in the World Cup. We saw it post-COVID where we had to squeeze everything together. Injuries went through the roof and we're going to see it again. Post-World Cup, those guys coming in with the premierships finishing a lot, lot later. So hence, they've hardly got a break again. They'll have to play international fixtures again and then they'll go in. And you look, we're quite fortunate in the championship that we can have a fairly structured pre-season you look at premier 
uh, league at the top level their pre-seasons now. And it's nothing to do with getting fit. It's just about going to America, Australia, wherever, get your money in, get your games in. They've only returned, very, like from Man City, for example, I think they were in less than a week before they started fulfilling their competitive fixtures. But Pep's looking at the bigger picture. is like, my players not going to get any rest this season. They're going and playing in all, on, in hard conditions in the, the World Cup and everything else is squeezed. If we don't give them this rest period now, they're just going to burn out. So it's a lesson with two evils and not going to be prepped well. And I think we'll see like the top, top teams perhaps not starting the Premier League that well. They're that good that they might, they might do, but they won't be as anywhere near as strong as what they'll be after a two, couple of months into the season. Yeah. Back to North End then. Um, from your time at the club, who was the, the fittest player that you worked with? Brownie, I think, when he first started. I um, feel you'd say Brownie. Yeah, oh, he's a phenomenon when he was a young lad. He didn't talk much, but my God, he, he could run. He was unbelievable and he's just grown into the absolute man and Captain Supremo he is now, so he's one of my favourite all-time people, Brownie. So, yeah, he's super fit. Adam O'Reilly had freakish uh, level of running. He was incredibly fit. Uh, and Scott Sinclair, you know, he came into us in his latter part of his career, but so fit. You just couldn't look with heart rate monitor the guys every day, and his heart rate just never went above 85. No matter what you did with him, he was just an absolute machine chiselled from ice, could do about a million pull-ups. He was just, uh, yeah, it was a supreme genetic athlete. Bloody hell. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's as much down to him as a person and looking after himself and, and all that as it is down to his career and the fact that he's been in and around Premier League clubs, you know, the top clubs, City, Chelsea, and he will have been forced to an extent to have to look after himself. Um, it's what's chicken and egg. I think you summed it up brilliantly there. It's a range of these things. It's the exposure to elite environments and seeing what's in there. Genes, certainly. It's the psychology of the lad. And when you look at the top, top level, and listen to all the kind of guys that have been there and done that. It's the mentality. Talent gets you so far and gets you through the door. But after that, it's definitely more about your mentality to training and pushing yourself and professionalism, lifestyle, that's going to be the, the thing that singles you out. But having said that, there are ridiculously talented people as well. Is Was there anyone at the club that perhaps that mentality took them further than you thought they would go in terms of maybe they were lacking the talent a little bit or they were lacking the physical attributes a little bit, but they were determined to make it and make something of, of the season or their time at the club or their career or whatever it may be. That's a tough one. There's certainly been people over my career, but Ben Whiteman now has an amazing mentality to training and professionalism. I think Alan's, took his talent levels further than any of us thought in the in the early days to say he's so established as a, a senior international now and as a captain and sought after by other clubs. Um nah, no one really springs to mind from the, the PA PE point of view. Um but Ben Wyman's yeah definitely a good example. Yeah. Um Tom, 
that's everything from me. So unless you've got anything you wanna you wanna finish on, then uh, we can call that. Call that. No, there. great. Just to say, I love my time at P and E. So I, I will always wish them well and have a look for them and people that I work with, particular Luke Hemmings, uh, are, are gonna and Matt Jackson are gonna be friends for life. So uh, yeah, I had a great time there. Nothing but fond memories. Brill, thanks very much, and all the best at Sheffield United this season. Okay, cheers, Jake. Take care. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, mate. See you. So, hope you all enjoyed that chat with Tom. Um, let me know what you think. Give us a tweet. Um, and, and yeah, let us know. But, boys, thank you very much for your time. As always, good to be back. Episode 2, Season 4. Let's hope this season could be the season that we have something positive to talk about week in, week out. There's stuff positive to talk about every week, Jake. No, you know relax, what I mean. Relax, relax, relax. It'll be fine. <laughs> Enjoy be the fine. ride. Enjoy the Enjoy ride. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Thanks, yeah, Jake. as I said at the start, you can. You are on. Just said thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It's quarter um, to twelve at night. We're all dying to get into bed because Jake says on a podcast for four hours now. After listening to all these voice voice notes and I mean, it's going to be a long podcast. It's it's, yeah, I know. Interview with Trevor Little, and it's like Trevor what? Little. <laughs> Should have asked what his favourite vegetable was, Jake. No, spinach, leeks, leeks. Fuck's sake. <laughs> right, yeah. On that note, boys. Um, thank you very much.